When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. On this episode of Newt's World, should we be concerned about North Korea and Kim Jong-un's recent missile launches? On October 4th, North Korea fired an intermediate-range ballistic missile that flew over Japan. The North Korea launched what appeared to be two more short-range ballistic missiles on Thursday morning, the latest sign that it is intensifying its weapons program. The launches mark the 24th time this year that North Korea has conducted missile tests. The missile fired on Tuesday was the first from North Korea to fly over Japan in five years, triggering alarms across Japan's northern regions. North Korea launched two short-range ballistic missiles that landed on Thursday outside Japan's economic exclusion zone, according to Japan's defense ministry. They were launched from near Pyongyang, the North Korean capital, toward the waters off the east coast, according to the South Korean military. Here to discuss North Korea's recent actions, I'm really pleased to welcome my guest, David Kang. He is a non-resident fellow at the Quincy Institute and Maria Crutcher Professor of International Relations at the University of Southern California. He's also director of the USC Korean Studies Institute and vice chair of the Political Science and International Relations Department. David, you must be very busy. (laughs) It's fine, right? It gets more busy when something happens with North Korea. So thanks for having me. So, I mean, we've been sort of living with the enigma of North Korea since the armistice was signed in 1953. And sometimes it's quiet and sometimes it's active. And to the best of my knowledge, nobody has any clue 
what to do about unlocking it. And I'm curious from your standpoint, what got you interested in North Korea? What to do and why I'm interested are two different things. Why I'm interested, my father's actually from North Korea. He was born in the northern part of Korea before it was divided and was one of the original refugees from the communist regime in the late 1940s when it came south. So I've always wanted to see where my father was born and wondered about unification of the peninsula. Have you been able to get access to North Korea? I've been to Kaesong, which is the city right across the border, but I haven't gone any more than that, unfortunately. Was that part of the industrial zone that they tried to develop? Yes, that was when it was when the cooperation for about, I don't know, 15 years, there was an industrial zone that was put right across the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea. For a while, it had like 500 South Korean companies. And so I was able to go during the time when they were actively cooperating. North shut it down a couple of years ago. Why do you think they did that? Because I think it was economically profitable. Yeah, it was working really well. My guess is that the North Koreans were saying, we'll suffer any kind of costs. We don't need this. It was viewed as on our side, on the sort of American South Korean side, this was viewed as the beginnings of capitalism in North Korea. South Korean capital and companies using North Korean labor. And they literally were having to help the North Koreans learn what a modern bank is, how to do banking, how to do transfers. So in many ways, the whole goal was to expand markets in Korea. And the North Koreans made a fair amount of money from it. But I think that when the tensions began to rise up under sort of late 2016, 2017, and then with a lot of stuff that went on in the last couple of years, they decided that this was, we'll show you that we can suffer even these costs. We're not going to let you push us around. It's a real shame. I was struck a couple of years back talking with people about the Northwest Territory in Pakistan, which there had been a proposal at one point to build roads into it. And the local leadership was bitterly, deeply opposed because they understood that modernity would dissolve their world. And it would cease to be the world they controlled. And to some extent, I get the sense that we keep trying to find a way to get Kim Jong-un to be like us. And that ain't going to happen. What do you think when he gets up in the morning, what's motivating him? Well, I think when Kim Jong-un wakes up in the morning, I think he's completely focused on survival of his family and the regime. Right? The people in North Korea don't matter to him. He wants the regime to survive, which means basically his family. Beyond that, it is fairly clear that Kim Jong-un wanted to take a different line from his father. Kim Jong-il was very much about isolating North Korea and keeping out any of these types of Western or particularly capitalist ideas. Kim Jong-un said in one of his first New Year's Day speeches, which is a big time for North Korean leaders to make you know, policy, he said North Koreans shouldn't be hungry. He said they shouldn't have to tighten their belts. And he wanted to do both. He wanted a strong country, nuclear weapons, and economic development. And it's very clear he tried that. But it's also very clear that he's going to keep control over that economic development. And that's where we see the sort of step forward, step back, step forward, step back in terms of economic opening in North Korea. In the last administration, I would spend some time talking with the various national security people, including the people at the CIA who worked on North Korea. And it struck me as listening to people talk that part of the problem he has, and I'd be curious to see if you think this is accurate or if I'd totally off base here, but there are a substantial number of people around him who have dedicated their lives to achieving a formidable nuclear capability 
and who have sacrificed large parts of the country in terms of quality of life, people starving to death, having running a police state. And were he to try to dramatically change their policy, he actually would have an entire leadership elite around him that would be appalled because it would be a repudiation of their lifetime of work. I mean, does that make sense? In part. The part that I agree with that is that there's way more domestic politics in North Korea than we think. This is not simply a ruler on top of 25 million undifferentiated slaves. There are bureaucracies and interests, and there is a ruling coterie, and there are different beliefs about what they should do. And that absolutely goes on. So he's not able to necessarily just simply dictate things. He needs to make sure that he's got very support and that there's substantial support for what he wants to do. That said, what he clearly is trying to do is balance out those various interests. Much of what he's done in like, we think, let me give you an example. We think the way that the National Day or particularly Kim Il-sung, his grandfather's birthday, they have a big parade in Pyongyang. We call those military parades because we focus on the 20 minutes when they roll missiles by or we look at the tanks and the soldiers. But those parades are about two hours long. And much of that has floats and everything else about economic development. They're not military parades. It's more like the Rose Bowl where there's a bunch of different things. So if you watch the whole parade, you see what he's trying to tell his citizens, which is partly we're a strong country and we're not going to give in to the Americans particularly the Americans, but also we're trying to move forward on economic reform because everybody realizes that in North Korea, I mean, there's a fair amount of evidence that the North Korean leadership realizes that their country is incredibly poor. I mean, everybody knows that. The question is how you can have some kind of growth or reform while retaining control. And what I find so interesting about that is on the outside, we tend to believe, as you just said, right, we think that adding in modernity markets more information about the outside world is dangerous to the regime. If that's the case, we shouldn't be sanctioning them. We should be pushing that stuff over the border, right? We shouldn't be the ones stopping economic interaction with North Korea. We should force them to be doing it instead of doing it ourselves. If somebody once said that the years and years ago, and this may have been apocryphal, it was in Reader's Digest, but that the years and years ago in Panama, they had a period where the workers had bought everything they thought they needed. And so there was a real drop-off in participation rate. And so they sent Sears Roebuck catalogs. And six months later, the workforce was dramatically more intense, and they had found a whole new generation of things they wanted to buy. Do you think if we followed a prosperity strategy that they would in fact put the brakes on in the North because they would realize that it was dissolving and undermining the intensity of the system? I think that there are limits to that. I certainly think that there is a way that we can affect positively the human rights in North Korea by having more economic interaction with them, by expanding markets, and by helping the poorest people. As you said, they're the ones that are suffering from the regime, right? Doesn't matter how much we squeeze North Korea, this small elite is probably going to be fine, as it is in any country. So in many ways, I think expanding that type of trade can only help the lives of ordinary North Korean citizens. I'm more skeptical, though. Over time, I become much more skeptical that this will lead to a radical awakening of political dissent in North Korea. Because on the outside, we tend to think that 
as you said, buying stuff from Sears Roebuck leads to this set of decisions or thoughts in people that's like, I want more stuff. My government can't get me more stuff. They must be bad. Therefore, I want to get rid of them. And that's a lot of steps to go, right? A lot of times it can become, I want to become rich. I want more than I have now. This is great. We want to expand markets, but he's still a good leader or I don't care. about. He keeps us safe. Those two, I think, can exist. And so I would still advocate for doing everything we can to expand trade and particularly information in North Korea. I think it's a little bit less likely or it would take a lot longer for that to translate into actual political dissent. But I still think we should be doing it. <laughs> Candidly, I mean, part of my view would be not so much to convince them towards liberalization as to just give them a higher incentive not to have a nuclear war. And that's also totally the case, right? Right now, stability on the Korean Peninsula rests purely on military deterrence. So they shoot these missiles, as you said, 24 this year. I think the highest number they ever tested was like 56 in 2017, something like that, right? Like one a week. Pew, pew, pew. And then we do stuff like we just sent an aircraft carrier through the EC, you know, right to the east of Korea. As a show of strength, we fly our bombers, B-2 bombers. This is all shows of force and muscle flexing. You better watch out. In many ways, that's a thin type of stability, though. If it's founded on much deeper integration with world markets, there's a lot more reason for North Koreans to be cautious about upsetting that. And we barely got started. The Kaesong Industrial Complex was a step in that direction, but it barely got started. I mean, that was very peripheral. It was very closed off. The North Koreans had a fence around it on their side. So this was very controlled on the North Korean side, and it didn't actually expand to the whole country. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. With 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hi, this is Newt. We have serious decisions to make about the future of our country. Americans must confront big government socialism, which has taken over the modern Democratic Party big business, news media, entertainment, and academia. My new best-selling book, Defeating Big Government Socialism, Saving America's Future, offers strategies and insights for everyday citizens to save America's future and ensure it remains the greatest nation on earth. Here's a special offer for my podcast listeners. You can order an autographed copy of my new book, Defeating Big Government Socialism, right now at gingrich360.com slash book, and we'll ship it directly to you. Don't miss out on this special offer. It's only available for a limited time. Go to gingrich360.com slash book to order your copy now. Order it today at gingrich360.com slash book. If the purpose of their nuclear program, which is very impressive and which I think has probably helped the Iranians and others. If the purpose is to protect their survival, it's one kind of system. If the purpose is to ultimately enable them to conquer the South, it's a very different kind of system. In your analysis, to what extent are they essentially defensive, and to what extent do we have to really worry that they might come South given how close they are to the I mean, Seoul's only an hour's drive from the border. 30 miles or so, yeah. Here's the thing about that. It's always put as an either or. I think it's actually both. And what I mean by that is both North and South Korea would like to unify the whole peninsula and make it one Korea again. The South Koreans would like to do it. They're just not willing to start a war to do it. If it sort of happens, we can talk about that later. But you know, there's all this discussion about whether the South Koreans want unification or not. That's not a choice. It's not like anyone's giving them a choice. If North Korea collapses, South Korea will take it, right? But they're not willing to start a war. So of course, North would like to. As I said, it should be one country, right? It was one country for since like 600 AD. I should be able to fly into Seoul, get in a car, drive two hours, and see where my father was born. So both sides would like it. The question is, is it worth the cost of trying to start a second Korean War? I think right now the North is has very little actual belief that they could start a war and conquer the South. The military balance, the, the North Korean military is so old. What we're seeing right now, and here's a good example of that, right? Nuclear coercion is not helping Russia with Ukraine very much. Nukes aren't good for coercing people or conquering things. They're really only good for deterring other countries from using them against you. 
which is why we're very careful about getting involved in the war with Russia. So I don't think that helps them conquer the South. And even if they had them, their conventional military is way poorer, older. They're using tanks from the 1950s. So I don't think it's realistic that they're sitting there thinking, is today the day we go over the border? It does help them protect from against what they think is a pushy or a bully. They know Americans would like regime change. We would. I'd love for it to change. We're just not willing to start a war. As I said, we're not willing to start a war because we know how bloody it would be. So the deterrence is what keeps them there, the stability. But I don't think that they could use that or are thinking to use that to somehow, you know, next year they're going to try and make a play for Seoul. Well, I mean, to some extent, the failure of the Russian military may also have been a very sobering reminder that this stuff's really hard. We make it look sort of easy, but it's really hard. Yes, especially when they're using Russian equipment. Right. But along the same line, I was told at one time that when the South Koreans looked at the cost to West Germany of absorbing and modernizing East Germany, and then they looked at how much bigger North Korea would be as a challenge than East Germany was, that there was sort of a hope they actually didn't want the regime to collapse because they didn't want to screw up their own prosperity by having to absorb all their relatives who, as you point out, don't know how to do banking, don't know how to operate in the modern world, and that it would be really expensive to try to modernize North Korea. Yeah. Every poll that you do in South Korea says, you know, if they say, do you want unification or whatever else, it overwhelmingly, they're like, no, put it off, too expensive. The thing about that is, as I said, I said briefly, like, you know, that's not the question they'll ever be asked. And so the real question they should ask, and I've wanted somebody to do this at, for an opinion poll, is like, if North Korea collapses, and what they mean by that as well is that, so the South Korean government is working to prepare for unification, you know, has, has plans, but is not actively trying to undermine the North Korean regime, right? I mean, there, there are limits. But the real question that needs to be asked is, if North Korea collapses, who gets it? Because the only way realistically now that there's going to be unification is that somehow the North Korean regime implodes because the South isn't going to start a war, you know, and, and I don't think there's a negotiated settlement. And this is the way the poll should be done. You ask all the South Koreans, if North Korea collapses, who should get it? A, China, B, Japan, you know, C, Russia, or D, South Korea. I guarantee you everyone will say, well, we'll take it, Right. If you ask South Koreans to draw a map, like if you ask children to draw a map, what does the Korean Peninsula look like? It goes the whole way up to the Yalu River. They don't cut it off, right? They know that's Korea. And that's the question is like, if it collapses, they don't want the Chinese to get it. They certainly don't want the Japanese to get it. They say, we'll take it. And the thing is, I used to be a lot more optimistic that the regime would collapse. I didn't think the regime could survive Kim Il-sung's death, the grandfather's death. And then they just kept going. And then I thought, well, maybe Kim Jong-il and his son might once he dies. And then this young, untrained guy is in, you know, he's in what, 12? He's been ruling for 12 years now. So I'm a lot less optimistic, I guess, that the regime is going to collapse. I was in Korea in August and went back to the War Museum, which I think is an astonishing facility. And it reminds you that it's all of Korea. You go back to medieval Korean history, they're fighting the Japanese on one front, the Chinese on the other front, and there's a real sense of being the hermit kingdom that they don't want these two countries gobbling them up. You know, and in that sense, I think probably binds 
a sense of Koreanness, both North and South. I've been told, and I'd be curious to get your reaction. I've been told that the Chinese actually have much less influence than we think they do. In fact, I've had Chinese government officials tell me, you guys are delusional. They don't pay any attention to us either. What's your sense of that? Absolutely, right? China has more influence on North Korea than any other country, and it has far less influence than we think it does. And a good example is just the 20th Chinese Communist Party meeting is happening now, essentially. And North Korea shot off a bunch of missiles that is, you know, almost a direct slap in the face to Xi Jinping or the Chinese Communist Party. Probably the best way that I think about North Korea is they're Koreans, first and foremost. We always say, is it a communist regime? Is it a communist monarchy? They're Korean. They view themselves as the real Koreans who are protecting what it means to be Korea. They even use their name. The Korean name is Joseon, which is the name of the old dynasty that was from 1392 to 1910. They would draw a direct link. We're the Koreans. And we're willing to suffer a little bit if that's what it takes. The South Koreans are the ones that sold out just to get rich for 30 pieces of silver, but we're willing to fight. So they view themselves very much as a nationalist country. And the South and North tend to agree on a bunch of things like those disputed islands, those are Korean, right? You know, Tokyo and, you know, with Japan, right? They view them very similarly. And China, you know, Korea existed next to China since the sixth century. So for 1,300 years, And they existed there by being able to get along with China and by pushing back on China. And both of those exist at the same time. And the North Koreans are very, very good at that. Yeah. So China does have, you know, some influence, but not nearly the type that we think that they do. I have the sense that they've always been prepared to fight if they had to, but they would rather pay tribute, which is how they dealt with the Chinese on a regular basis. I'm curious about your view of the regime. As you said, I mean... It was purely an accident of history that was divided after World War II. And then it was, to some extent, an accident of history that we responded when they attacked in 1950. I mean, you can imagine easily a circumstance where we did not respond. And that had all sorts of secondary impacts, including our relationship with Mao Zedong and Communist China. But I'm curious, do you see the family regime surviving beyond Kim Jong-un, or do you see a larger structural power that surrounds him that would survive even without the family? I actually don't know. Is he married and does he have kids? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every now and then his wife shows up. We don't know that much about her. So there are successors to be trained. Ostensibly. (laughs) Sort of the Prince Charles of the North Korean dictatorship. Here's a little bit about how I try and explain the North Korean regime. Because when I say it's a Korean regime or it's a Korean country up there, It is a clan-based society. Korea is clan-based. All the big South Korean companies like Samsung, Kia, LG, they're all family-based. And they're all by now on their third generation, right? So this is a multi-billion dollar company, Samsung. It's got stocks and everything else, but it's unthinkable that someone from the family is not in charge. And Lee Jae-yong is the grandson of the founder. I mean, this is a very Korean trait. So the North Koreans are now in the third generation is not different. It's deeply Korean that way, right? So that's how they view things. One of the differences between him and his father, Kim Jong-il, is Kim Jong-il was clearly sort of an introvert. He didn't like appearing in public. 
if there's photos or video of him at like a state dinner and like he's not talking, he's sort of pushing the peas around on his plate. His son is very much like his grandfather, who was a charismatic. Most politicians are charismatic leaders. They love people, right? And he was determined to show a difference. We never saw Kim Jong-il's wife or blah, blah, blah. He would walk around with his wife. He would wave. He's hugging. We have photos of Kim Jong-un hugging, you know, his generals or whatever. Like he was really charismatic. His wife appeared and then she disappeared for a while. And there was so many rumors about North Korea around, but like he hated her. He put her in exile. And then a week later, she shows up again, right? We don't know almost anything about that family, but they clearly have a family. And, you know, Kim Yo-jung, his sister is clearly powerful. So there's a ton of speculation about what would happen if he does have a heart attack. I mean, that guy needs to go on a diet. He's actually done better now. <laughs> but didn't his father actually send him to Switzerland for finishing school? Mm -hmm. He was in Switzerland sometime in, I think, middle school for a couple of years or something like that. I remember talking to somebody who had known him or had seen him there. And they said he always had handlers around him. He always was at the school. And then they pulled him away. Right. And so a lot of the belief that being westernized would change him. Again, that shows the limits of that. He loves basketball. We all joke about Dennis Rodman going. But he had initially reached out, as I understand, and he wanted just regular NBA stars to come. And Rodman was the only one who would come. I've talked to Franklin Graham, who has run a very big food program in North Korea. And he said, the guy just loves basketball. Yeah, right. You can love Western culture and still thumb your nose at America. It didn't really change his That's a little bit like the scene from The Producers where the guy says, you know, Hitler was a great dancer. As no meaning in the real world. Why do you think they've suddenly gone through this cycle in the last few weeks of sort of showing off? I would put it in a slightly larger context, which is there's three various causes that tend to play into when North Korea does tests. We tend to focus only on the first one, which is they're sending some kind of a message to the outside world. Like, how dare they do it before the 20th Party Congress, et cetera, et cetera. Or they're showing something to the United States. That's one. The second one is there's internal politics where they will do tests or do various, you know, actions for domestic politics of some type. And then the third reason is simply the technical pace at which you get these things ready to go. Right. In other words, one thing that we tend to ignore, South Korea tried to send off a ballistic missile in response to show what they can do. And it failed miserably. I shouldn't laugh. It went backwards and almost killed people. Right. That's why we do it. And that's why they do it. You want to test these things. There's a technical reason why you want to test your missiles and make sure they'll do what you want them to do. And that isn't something you just do on a spur of the moment. You have to set it up and you know something happens and then they say, okay, why did it fail this way? Why did it fail that way? And then they try and get better. So there's three things going on at the same time. We have been expecting a seventh nuclear test for, I've been hearing about that all year. Everyone says, oh, are they going to test? They're going to test a seventh nuclear device just to show the Americans. I say, maybe, right? Maybe. There's talk right now, oh, they're all ready to go. You know, they, satellite photos look at the place we think they would test a nuclear bomb. And oh, they're ready to go. Maybe. There's a technical reason they want to test. Then they probably have a political reason for domestic. And then there's uh, what they're sending to us. So my sense is this doesn't strike me as that much different than they're testing a whole bunch of these missiles. I've been saying, well, sure, maybe. For the last year, I've been saying they're going to test the seventh nuclear. And they still haven't done it. So, 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. We talk about whether or not we have a nuclear presence in Korea and all that. It is 28 minutes from Minot, North Dakota, to Pyongyang. As long as we invest in our strategic capabilities, we have a permanent presence without having to have anything in South Korea. And I just find it fascinating that we get trapped into these bureaucratic fights that I think don't necessarily fit the real world or make much sense. You know, there's been this long period of you don't want to make the North Korean dictatorship feel good, you don't want to honor them, etc. Then Trump comes along and has three different meetings with Kim Jong-un. In retrospect, was that a reasonable gamble on Trump's part or was that a mistake? He should have done it. That was a massive missed opportunity. Let me first say something about the nukes, though, because I've been saying that forever, right? Even for the B-2 bombers, they take off somewhere in like Iowa, refuel over the Pacific, fly past the DMZ, turn around, refuel, and go home. It's extraordinary the amount of a military might the United States has. And the North Koreans know that. Right? They're not like, well, they don't have nukes right here that we can get away with it. It's 
extraordinary the amount of power the American can bring to bear if we need to, right? On the Trump summit, and here I guarantee you know more about what actually went on than me. That was a massive missed opportunity. It shows that the North Koreans are willing, or Kim Jong-un is willing to try and negotiate with the United States if he thinks there's a realistic chance that the U.S. will change. What happened was, if you want to talk about the domestic politics, imagine when he says to all those people, I'm going to try and make an agreement with the Americans. And they'll be like, you moron, we've done it a dozen times. They're totally untrustworthy. The Americans will always change their minds. They don't, they are out to get blah, blah. You know, imagine how much political capital he had to put out to go and potentially be humiliated to try and make a kind of a deal. But he did it. By the time we got to Vietnam, the Hanoi summit, here was the thing, what was on tap. And again, I'm sure you know more about what went on the inside than me. From the outside, on tap or on the menu was a small deal. Some sanctions relief from the U.S. side for the Yongbyon nuclear facility, which is symbolic and actually functionally important because they are making bombs from Yongbyon today. It's not just symbolic, right? And they were going to shut that down and we were going to give some sanctions relief. And that was the question. It was so far down the path that we were going to be dismantling Yongbyon that I know some people at the nuclear labs in Livermore and Los Alamos, and they were asking the physicists, they were saying, look, you guys, think about it because we're going to need people to go for combat pay for three to six months at a time. So let's get ready to do this, to dismantle that facility. That's how far the American side was down the track. At Hanoi, somebody went big. Somebody said, no, no, not small for small, and let's go in the right direction and build from there. I want it all. I've heard some people say that Kim came in and said, no, I want all sanctions relief. And then I've heard other people say, you know, the whole Bolton thing, blah, 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 go for it all. You've got the leverage, get him to give it all up. I don't know. But if we had done small for small, we would be in such a different place today. There would be Americans there right now in Yongbyon dismantling. And, you know, Yongbyon is dangerous, not just because they can make fissile material out of it. It's an environmental health hazard for the entire region. I would say I am very much in favor of moving the right direction as opposed to the wrong direction, right? Should Biden be prepared to come back at, so as president to dictator? Because as you know, the State Department bias against that is enormous. Yes, it is. Everybody was against it. There is a DC blob, sir. <laughs> Everybody was opposed, except me. I was out there cheering on, right? Like, here's what I would have done different than Trump. I would have been way more prepared, right? But whatever, you know, that's quibbling, right? Yes, there's only two ways that this is going to get resolved. One is we're going to start a war or, you know, they're going to collapse something lucky or unlucky. Or there will be some type of negotiated settlement. There's only two things. Either you're going to figure out a way to get some better relationship with this regime and move in the right direction. Or you're just going to sit here. We are in the same place today that we were in 1945. There's no change, except they have some nuclear weapons, right? And the contrast, just a brief contrast here with Taiwan, China is, no matter what you think about Taiwan, China, it is so much more stable. They're flying back and forth. They're investing. You can call. You can visit. There's 2 million tourists a year. They have made progress in China-Taiwan that is completely absent in Korea, and that is a tragedy. But may also be harder to do with the very structure of the North Korean dictatorship. 
unfortunately. Yes. And that's why I think it was a mistake because he was willing to meet. He was even willing to go out of Korea. I thought that was astonishing. Yeah. Do you think that Trump symbolically stepping over the line had any meaning in the North? Oh, absolutely. Right. These things are super important that they would show in many ways treating North Korea like a real country. You know, come on. Right. We deal with a lot of countries we don't like, but we can still actually treat them as a country. We think South Korea is a real country. It has a flag. It's got a leader. North Korea is a real country. They have a government and people, and we should deal with them as a country. And I don't see the slightest problem with that. Let me go back to one thing you said earlier, because I want to draw a parallel to a point you'd made about how Pyongyang would see itself as defending Koreanness as its relatives to the South sell out and are corrupted. If you listen to Putin, if you listen to the Ayatollah, if you listen to the Taliban, I think as Americans, we tend to forget that our concept of a liberal rule of law, capitalist culture that is wide open and permitting individual behaviors is actually seen as an enormous threat by huge sections of the planet. Not something they want to migrate to, but something they're terrified of because it literally would dissolve their world. I mean, does that make sense to you? Yes, absolutely. Right. I show the symbolism of this. For your listeners, if they Google Korean Workers Party, up will come the insignia, the communist insignia. Like every Chinese Communist Party, Soviets all have a hammer and a sickle, right? The hammer is industrial and sickle is like the peasants. The North Korean insignia has three things. It doesn't have two. It's got the hammer and the sickle and it's got this third thing. And I always tell when I do a talk, I'll say, what is that third thing? And people, it looks like a candle. It looks like a spear. And I say, eventually we get around. It's a Confucian scholar's brush. There is nothing more about traditional Korea than a Confucian scholar writing poetry and studying the classics. And it's right there in the communist insignia. It's huge. They are saying, we are traditional Korea. We're also communists, but we're traditional Korea. It's right there. And that's not just propaganda. That's how they view themselves. Sort of big Korean, small communist. Yes, yes, it's right there. And if you understand that, you can see the worldview and you can see why people may not like that government particularly, but they're still proud to be Korean. They're incredibly proud to be Korean. You know so much and you're so current. David, I want to thank you for joining me and helping all of us who are listening understand the nature of North Korea and the challenges of North Korea. I hope in the future, as this continues to evolve, we can continue this conversation someday. That would be delightful. Thank you so much for having me. This was really, really enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you to my guest, David Kang. You can learn more about North Korea's recent missile launches on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.